Open your Bible with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. We have been um, working our way through Romans verse by verse, and I've never really taught any of the letters or any of the books in the Bible this way. And um, the Lord put it on my heart to go through, through at least begin Romans. And then as we've been into it, I keep feeling prompted like we should just continue to go through it. So I don't know how far we'll get today. Um, chapter 5 is where we're going to read, but I'll give you, before we read in chapter 5, I'll just go back and give just a little bit of a uh, brief history or, or a few things about the letter to the Romans. So Paul wrote this, he wrote this from Corinth um, around 58-60 AD, and he was there, and they, this was on Paul's third missionary journey, and he had stopped off in Corinth, and from there he wrote the letter to the believers who lived in Rome. Now he did not know, I mean he, he knew a number of them, but he'd never been there. As the way we know that he know, knew a bunch of them, you know, that he knowed them. <laughs> I'll get it figured out eventually, maybe I need another cup of coffee. But the way we knew, know that he knew them was because in Romans 16 it tells us that, I mean it goes through and he names all these people, tell this person hi, and tell that one hi, and oh, they helped me here, and all these things. So we know that he had relationship with them, and he wasn't just writing to a bunch of people that didn't know who he was. And he starts out and he, he presents his desire to be there with them in chapter 1, and, and then in verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, they are the theme and the purpose of the entire letter. If you could sum up his whole letter in these two verses... Um, so he just kind of states, here's what I'm going to tell you. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this line, this saying that he is quoting from the Old Testament is it comes up again and again and again through the book through this letter to the believers in Rome. We know that the believers in Rome there were some Jews, but most of them were Gentiles, people that had come into believing. And because see that's key. We have to believe. If you can't be a believer if you don't believe. You can be a doubter, but that's no good, right? We want to be how many believers do I have in here? So in chapter 1, he, he details, so he, he states his theme, and then he goes into laying out how all of humanity, he starts with the Gentiles, and, and about how their sins and how they're just completely sinful before God. And so he lays out the guilt of the Gentile world in chapter 1. In chapter 2, he talks about God's right judgments. And then he details the Jewish violation of the law and their guilt before God. Because see, the Jews, they were the chosen people of God. They'd been given the law. They had covenant with God. Everyone else didn't have that in, in the Old Testament. You, you understand the word testament means covenant. Old covenant, right? And so in the Old Covenant, they didn't. only the Jews had that covenant with God. That particular one, right? And so he's just saying, look, the people without covenant, they're without hope. The ones with covenant, they're without hope. Right? He's just detailing the guilt. Because if, if your debt has to be paid, it's going to be a hard time for you. Well, let's keep going because he answers all of that. In chapter 3, he details the guilt of the entire world. And he just says it like this. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
So it doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, you know, or reptile, any of them. You've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Hopefully there's no reptiles in here as we cast those out. <clears throat> and um, in, in chapter 3, then he starts to establish how righteousness comes by faith. Right? right? Right standing with God. That's what righteousness means. It simply means in God's eyes you stand, you're right with Him. There's nothing between you. Righteousness before God. And that's through faith. In chapter 4, he begins to talk about how Abraham was declared righteous by faith. And how that he received and laid hold of the promise by faith. See, faith is not just a um, what religion you're a part of. A lot of people, I grew up thinking, you know, you got to have or people of faith. You know, we would use it that way. And, and to, to me and my understanding growing up, I thought that meant someone who, you know, believes that in Christianity. Or, you know, someone of the Islamic faith. Or someone of, that's how people use it often today. But that's not how faith is used in, in the Bible. In particular, in this case, this is a persuasion about something. A persuasion about who Jesus is and what He's done and, and what He means to you and I. And so, when we talk faith, in this case, it was a promise given to Abraham. He was completely persuaded about this promise. In fact, I'm going to begin reading in verse 13 of chapter 4. And then we'll get into chapter 5 just as a review. Because see, a lot of understanding this letter to the Christians in Rome is context is huge. Because you can pick any one verse out and just get it bent out of shape and not fully understand it. But when you begin to understand context, Romans is a powerful book to just read in one sitting. You get this bird's eye snapshot view of it. And so Hebrews is another one. I mean, any book is that way, but some books in particular will mean more if you get, because they say one thing. See, he didn't write it to him in sections. You know, when, when Paul wrote, many people believe he wrote Hebrews as well, but when he wrote Romans, for example, he didn't write it in sections and then mail it to him or email it to him, right? And then write another chapter in, uh, two weeks later and email that one and, and so forth. He wrote it as one continuous letter and one continuous, you know, he talks about this and because he talked about this, now he's going to have to address this. And it just keeps stacking on top of each other and it's all connected. You know, if, if in the last chapter of, of Romans, if you had a plant growing out of the last chapter, its roots would go all the way to chapter 1. Right? So it's all connected, and that's why it's powerful to sit down and to just read and take it all in in a sitting or two. All right, so let's look at uh, chapter. Oh, I, I didn't tell you what I needed to tell you. So the reason I say it's important to take the context is see, when we take things from the Word, this is one of the ways, if you've ever wondered, well, how do they decide? What's a doctrinal issue in Christianity? What, what makes them, what makes one thing a doctrinal issue and the other one is kind of like, well, whatever, you know? And, and so here's how you decide that. Jesus operated by this principle, and in the old covenant law, they were told to operate by the principle, but it's by two or three witnesses, we call it. If you're new to Christianity, or if you're new to church, and you hear someone say, well, by two or three witnesses, what they mean is finding it in two or three other places in the Word. 
Let's say it a different way. If you can find something in Scripture, see, many things in Scripture are, some things in Scripture are said to the individual, they're not for today. Did you know that? They're not for you and I. They're just part of the history and part of the story. For example, when Paul told him, bring my cloak from Troas. Right? Good luck with that if you take that for you today. Right? This is why context is important. So, so what I'm saying is how when we develop, when, when we find doctrinal issues in Scripture, it's because we find it in Romans here and maybe later again in Romans and then over here in Corinthians. and Oh, Jesus taught it over here in John 4. And, and oh, well, in the Old Covenant, they actually taught that as well. And you find more than one witness coming from the Word on the issue. Because remember, we look at this as one document. But remember, it's not. It was given through hundreds of people. Many prophets, hundreds of years apart, that the Lord would speak through, and then it would happen. Just like when Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was going to come hundreds of years before He shows up, and then He's born. Right? So Jesus, at one point when they were questioning Him, He said, hey, listen. He said, you know, you don't have to take just my witness, because if I just witness about myself. He said, but here's all these other witnesses, and He names eight other witnesses off of what they were. One of the witnesses was the miracles. Right? And then he just proceeds to go, oh, Moses was a witness. Oh, God was a witness. You know, and he just goes through witness by witness and establishes why he should be believed. Well, they were not allowed. In fact, that's actually, you know, in our court of law, if you're charged with a crime, you are, well, you're supposed to be. In some cases, it's not that way anymore because we have a very broken system. But, well, maybe I shouldn't say the system is broken. Maybe I should say the people that are in the system are broken. Um, but you're supposed to be considered innocent until proven guilty. Until it can be proven that, no, this, you did this. This is charged to your account now. And um, you cannot, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, God gave them laws and they're governing. He said, you cannot charge someone and, and hold them guilty of a crime if there's only one witness. There has to be two or three witnesses for it to hold, hold water or hold weight, so to speak. And so our laws today are based on that very same principle. They're supposed to be. Alright, all of that to be said, that's why it's important to understand context because we don't want to twist the Word of God. We want to take it as it's meant, the parts that are for us today, to take them and to use them and to apply them. All of the Word of God was given for us but not all of it was to us. I saw some confused looks when I started down that path, but you understand if you, I mean, yeah. In fact, I'm just going to stand on that button a little bit. You know, um, the book of Job, an amazing book. And a lot of people like to misquote who God is out of the book of Job. Because the Bible says so, right? And they can find this verse that actually goes against a bunch of other witnesses that we have in the Bible about God's character, and say, well, see, this is how God was. The important thing to know about the book of Job is go to the last chapter and Job repents for everything he'd said. And after he did that, God says, oh, by the way, if you'll offer a sacrifice for your friends, I'll forgive them as well for everything they said. Except for that, the, the fourth 
friend. He was the young guy. He was the guy that actually spoke truth. If you want to go read what he said, that's interesting. But the whole point of the book of Job wasn't all those things. Now, now were those things truly spoken? Are they, are they truth? Well, it's a trick question. They were truly spoken, but not all of it is truth. Some of it is, right? But some of it was misapplied, and they, weren't, they were not seeing the character of God as He truly is. They were seeing Him as how they believed He was. And then in James, it tells you in James chapter 4 what the whole purpose of the book of Job is. Did you know that? He says, oh, by the way, Job, you remember how he was long-suffering and endured? And how God richly and abundantly blessed him? That's the purpose of the book of Job. Right? So context matters. We don't just create doctrines over over. A single verse. Otherwise, we would make it mandatory everyone drink black coffee. Because Hebrews. Uh, yep, I'm back. My jokes are just as bad as they've ever been. Alright, let's look here in verse 13 of chapter 4 and we'll begin reading. For the prom- Okay, so if you're new to uh, church and maybe you don't know, well, what was the promise? It's going to talk about a promise to Abraham. The promise, so Abraham was an old man and God shows up and says, you're going to have a child. Now, he was 90 years old when the Lord showed up. He didn't have the child until he was like 100 years old, I believe. And Sarah was equally as old, somewhere around in the same age. And so they were well past the years of bearing children. And the Lord showed up and didn't just say you're going to have a child, but oh, you're going to have more children than the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Your descendants are going to be blessed. All The whole earth is going to be blessed because of you. So this was the promise given to Abraham, and it's a promise that looks absolutely, utterly, 100% ridiculous. Right? But God is able to do all things. To him that believes. So, let's begin reading in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would inherit the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. If those who are of the law, it's just talking about the Jews, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made empty and the promise nullified. Because the law produces wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Say it a different way. You can't break a law that doesn't exist. Verse 16, this is why the promise is by faith. So that it may be according to grace. Remember, grace is God helping you do something you cannot do by yourself. So, according to grace, to guarantee it to all the descendants. Not only to the one who is of the law, that would be the Jew, but also to the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. He is writing to primarily Gentiles. Is there anyone in here that was born a Jew? Physical birth. No. Okay. But did you know that a whole bunch of you are Jews in here tonight? Right? Because he said in, earlier in chapter 3, was it 4, that it's circumcision of the heart that makes you the Israel of God, right? And so, um, just keep, keep reading here. This promise. He says, He's the Father of us all. As it is written, I have made you, this was the promise, I have made you the Father of many nations. This was the word that came to Abraham, Abram when he was uh, childless and old already. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. 
He believed, talking of Abraham, he believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what had been spoken. So will your descendants be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about a hundred years old. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. This is what this whole section is about. It is about the the promise being accepted, received by faith. He, by being fully convinced that what God says, he'll, he'll do. Verse 22, therefore it was credited to him for righteousness. That, that line, there we see it again. You know, he started out with it at, the, at chapter 1, and now we just, we'll keep seeing it. Now it was credited to him, was not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you commit a crime and you go stand in a courtroom and you are convicted of the crime, it's been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are guilty and now you must pay the penalty of that crime. That's what is happening for all of humanity on a spiritual level. Right? Everyone, past, present, and future, that's going to be born in this current world system, needs to have this advocate, Jesus Christ, to be able to make it through that courtroom being called guilty. The Word said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Everybody. So everyone has committed the crime so everyone must do the time. Right? I'm not trying to rhyme, but I do all the time. Now I am. <laughs> but, you know, everyone who commits a crime must pay the penalty and do the time. Except someone else comes along and does the time for you. His name is Jesus. I'm making this as simple as I know how. And it's when He comes along and does the time for you that you get to walk free and walk in His place of complete right standing before God. And when that happens, that's why He says He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. God didn't just let Him keep paying the penalty. He said, okay, that's enough. The debt's paid. Come on home. And brought Him up out of the dead out of the grave, out of hell, resurrected Him. And if you believe in Him today, you, the Word says you have newness of life on the inside of you. The very Spirit of God lives in you. Alright, chapter 5. Let's go, uh, I don't, uh, let's, let's start in verse 1. It says, therefore, since, I remember Dale teaching me, Apostle Dale taught me, that whenever you see a therefore in Scripture, you should look to see why it's Therefore, why is it there? What's it there for? So when you see a therefore, what, that is, what, what you should always do is go back and see the previous text. Because he's saying, because of everything I just said, and now he's going to present a truth to you. right? So that's why I just read what I did to you, to set context for where we're going. Therefore, oh, and by the way, um, let me just say this too. So in chapter 5, he talks about having peace with God through faith. Peace, peace with God through faith. And then he, 
ends up down in 12, he switches and starts to talk how death came through Adam and life comes through Christ. Alright, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that means you've been made right. You've been given right standing. Right? Because He took your place. The verse right before this, He says, you know, He was delivered up for our trespasses. Therefore, since you have been declared right in the courtroom of heaven, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most translations will just say um, that we have peace with God. Which is true, we have it available to us, but that doesn't mean you're walking in it. Right? Just because something is given, salvation is given for all man, but it doesn't mean that all man is walking in salvation. That still is going to be a choice and is going to be up to the individual to receive. Well, peace is the same way. And the literal Greek to this is let us have peace with God. He's encouraging them to take what has been given to them. Not just a blanket statement, well, we're all at peace. No, because I know a bunch of believers that are not at peace at all. Right? And so he's saying, let us have peace. So let me ask a question. I want your, I want your input on this. What is peace? What, is, what does it mean? What is peace? When you hear the word peace, how, how would you describe it? Let's say you're describing it to um, a six-year-old. Say it again. Wholeness, nothing missing, missing, yeah, nothing, yeah, what she said, nothing missing, nothing broken, is that what you said? Okay. The rest of God, fellowship, a sense that you're right, or in the right, okay, peace, what does peace mean? Satisfaction? Smooth, buttery feeling on the inside. Rest? Comfort? I heard something over here. Calm? Anybody else? Right standing with God? Peace is... I mean, those are all good answers. There's not a particular answer I'm looking for. Right? You guys are looking at me like, did we make the grade? (laughs) Yeah, you made the grade. I'm just saying, what do you think of when you think of peace? Is peace dependent upon your circumstances? No. Why do you say that? Say again. It's within you, not the circumstances. Anybody else? It's not a feeling. Not emotional. Okay. Because God is the source of it. Is that what you said? So why is... So can you be at peace and be in the middle of chaos? And Yes. Are you sure? Because you're in God's hands. Peace is a choice. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's obviously how we get it. How we have it. And let's go to John. No, Mark. I'll tell you when I get there. Mark 4. 
You can hold your finger over there. I think we're coming back. In Mark 4, in verse 35. Now, this is the story of Jesus and Him calming the sea. Right? And so it says in verse 35, on that day when evening had come, He told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took Him along since He was in the boat. And other boats were with Him. You know, when, he, when, it, when this happens, it's their boat plus all these other boats out there. A lot of times we just think of them as one single boat out there, but that wasn't the case. Verse 37, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Are they in danger? Yeah. I mean, naturally speaking, they're in danger. It is ridiculous to think that their boat would sink with Jesus in it, but, you know, I mean, they are, naturally speaking. So the boat's already being swamped. So they've taken on water. I mean, the wind is blowing. The mist is flying. They probably can't see for all the wind and water in their eyes. They're bailing water as fast as they can, but it's coming in faster. And let's see what else has happened going on here in the boat. Verse 38, he was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. It was in the middle of chaos. They think they're going to die. How do I know that? Let's read further. So he's sleeping. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Not we might, but you don't even care. You're sleeping. Help bail water or something. How... How do you sleep in the middle of that? Yeah, peace. Rest. Knowing that God's got me. Confident of your future. Right? So, Jesus, He... uh it's funny because it, as we read this, he implies that they should have just dealt with it and kind of chides them. Like, Come on, what's wrong with you guys? Why are you such cowards? Just deal with it yourself. Let me sleep. <laughs> All right, so they're like, man, teacher, don't you care? We're going to die. So he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea. Now, I don't know what he said to the wind, but we know what he said to the sea. He says, now, this is, this is interesting because most of us have probably memorized this in an incorrect translation. I'm going to have it memorized as peace, be still. Yeah, I do. That's how I would, how I would quote it, peace, be still. But that's not, that's not a good translation at all. In fact, most translations have the word way wrong. The word is silence. I was going there. You've got to give me a little bit though. That's right. He says, silence... Be muzzled. The word be still is not be still, it's, it's muzzled. It's the exact same word that when they say, you know, don't muzzle the ox when he's treading out the grain. Same word. You wouldn't say don't be still the ox while he's treading out the grain. That doesn't make sense. So he says, shut up, put a muzzle on it. That's what he said to the sea. Silence, be muzzled. Was the sea saying something? Yeah, it was crashing, roaring, trying to eat him. 
This word silent, it carries the meaning of involuntary silence. Not voluntary silence. Not choosing to be quiet. But forced to be quiet. It's a command. Right? He commands the wind and the waves. And then, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then He said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? In other words, implying that why were they afraid? Why? You know, if you would put a lot of us in this situation, we would read it this way. And they woke us up as we were sleeping on the cushion and we jumped up and said, oh no, yeah, we are going to die. What are we going to do? Lord, save us! Now we're just like the guys that woke us up. Not walking in any authority. Nothing. Remember Paul? Because he had a similar situation. They're out there on the boat. And he'd warned them, hey guys, we shouldn't go on this trip. Because he's a prisoner, he, you know, no, who's paying attention to him? They go on the trip. And man, they, they suffer major loss of all these things. And they're in a storm for two weeks. And it says that even they, Luke is the one writing it. And Luke is going with Paul. And he says, we completely gave up hope that we would live. Are they in any position to stand up and command anything? No. Not at all. They don't even have hope. They, they don't have an expectation that we're going to make it. They think, you know what, this one here is it's a bridge too far. And the interesting thing about it is, is that it's not until the Lord gives him a word by an angel in the dream that he had that Paul stands up and says, oh, by the way, we're all going to make it. It's going to be alright. We're going to lose the boat, but nobody's even going to lose a hair on your head. And then he says, I believe God. Just like it was said to me. So coming back to peace. Paul didn't have peace because they... One of, one of the marks of peace is there's hope. Some people confuse peace with being resigned to something. In other words, there's nothing we can do. It is what it is. Oh well, making, make, make peace with the inevitable. You know, you just are resigned to the outcome. That's not really peace. That, that may be finding peace in a situation, but in this case, Paul, you know, one of the marks of peace is hope. Hope. In fact, let's just read the next couple of verses and then we'll come back and talk about peace. He says in verse 2, we have also obtained access through Him, through Jesus, by faith, into this grace in which we stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So this hope is a confident expectation. It's not a wishfulness. It's not we want it to be that way. It's in the Bible, the word hope was different than the way we use it in English today. But in the Bible hope, it meant confident expectation of something. A confident expectation. You know, when someone brings a meal out and sets it in front of you, you have a confident expectation that I'm going to take part in that. An expectancy. You're hoping 
Maybe you smell dinner being cooked, right? And it builds an anticipation. That's part of what the word means. Confidently anticipating, right? And so you anticipate taking part of that. Well, hope, part of peace is, is a big part of peace is simply hope. Hope that confident expectation, let's say it that way. A confident expectation that, you know what, I'm in the Father's hand and He's got this. And I'm going to be obedient to Him in everything He asks me and it's not over until I say it's over. You know, in Romans, I mean, remember, what, what are one of the fruit of the Spirit? Peace, right? That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means when you become born again, okay, I'll make it less Christianese here, when you say, I believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead and He is the Son of God, at that point in Romans it says that you will be saved. And that the Spirit of God comes and dwells on the inside of you. Right? And so now, your spirit, we, call, we say that He gives you a new spirit. The real you on the inside. He gives you a, a new real you on the inside. Not talking character. Not talking you know, your thoughts or your flesh. But your spirit person on the inside. And when He gives that new one to you, out of that born again spirit, because that spirit has now the DNA of God. Not the DNA of Adam. And when that Spirit is on the inside of you, out of that Spirit, because of its communion with God, comes the fruit of the Spirit. We could say it a different way, the fruit of a born-again Spirit. A lot of people read that in, in the fruit of the Spirit and they think it's talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. But it's not really the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's the fruit of your born-again Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit working through you and in you will cause in your spirit Bearing witness with your spirit, you will produce that fruit. Well, he goes on in Romans 8, 6, just thinking on peace and, and, and the spirit. He says in Romans 8, 6, now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset, your way of thinking, your mindset of the spirit is life and peace. So peace. That's one of the things that we're known, known for is peace. Life and peace. Peace. And that doesn't mean absence of problems or absence of, of chaos around you or absence of turmoil or absence of strife or absence of conflict. That can all be on the outside, but you can be at peace on the inside. And you don't have to take part in those things. Those things are optional. You know, for example, some people, they get confused when we talk about you know, the opposite of peace, stress, right? You know, if you're stressed about something, you're not at peace about that thing. You may be at peace about your standing with God, but maybe you're not at peace about the bill that's being unpaid, right? And so, you, all of that you can choose to get into peace and confidence and trust in God on the issue, and you can be at peace even on that issue. But some people think that stress is not something that's optional. In other words, they say traffic causes stress. Traffic jams cause stress. Well, if traffic jams cause stress, then everyone would experience the exact same emotion. But everyone's reacting to what's happening in the traffic and their schedule. So they're reacting. Well, that's reacting. You can choose to act differently. You don't have to be stressed in traffic. That's completely optional. 
You might be a whole lot more stressed in traffic if you have someone with a broken arm you're trying to get to the hospital than you are when, you know what, I got all day and I don't care and I'm enjoying my coffee and I'm listening to a really good podcast right now, so let's hang out. Right? One person's experiencing a completely different level of peace or stress. So, we are not just, we are not um, captive to our environment. What's going on on the inside. We can be at complete peace even though the outside isn't. Let's look at, um, I'll read, a, actually put it up on the board. Isaiah 32.17. Let's look at a couple scriptures about peace here before we go further. While you're finding that, I'll read um, Romans 14.17 to you. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, right standing with God, peace with God, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. Those three things. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And generally, where you find peace, you're going to find the other two. I mean, he's called the Prince of Peace for a reason. Right? The Prince of Peace. Okay, did you uh, find Isaiah 32.17? You can put that up on the overhead. The result of righteousness, right standing with God, the result of right standing with God will be peace. The effect of right standing with God will be quiet confidence forever. Quiet confidence forever. Even though things are just going to hell in a handbasket around you, you can be like, you know what? I'm not moved by what I see or feel. I'm only moved by the Word of God and His promises to me. Um, put up Isaiah 54.10. And this is also talking about, about peace. Isaiah 54 verse 10. Though the mountains move and the hills shake, if you're in a Mountain moving, hill shaking circumstance. Have any of you ever been in that kind of circumstance? Maybe it felt like it, right? Where the thing that you thought was super solid wasn't. I mean, 2020, when all the churches just closed and folded, and a lot of people that I looked up to and admired just closed and folded and didn't stand their ground, and from my point of view, did not do the word. I felt like, man, the mountains around me had just shaken and crumbled. But what does he go on and say? He says, my love will not be removed from you and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. Even in the midst of that, when you think, man, every oh, how the mighty have fallen. See, if we put our confidence in man, we're always going to end up disappointed sooner or later. But if we put our confidence in God, we can stay at peace even in that environment. Says your compassionate Lord. I'm so glad He's compassionate. Hallelujah. I want to read one more to you, but I'm not sure where it is. So give me a second and I'll find it. So this is Isaiah prophesying. He says, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on His shoulders. He will be named. Here are the names that He will wear. Wonderful Counselor. 
You know, when you have a wonderful counselor, that brings a whole measure of peace. To know that, you know, I don't have to make a decision without having a wonderful counselor's help. Right? His next name is Mighty God. We're talking power issues now. Mighty. Mighty God. Eternal Father. He's not going away today or tomorrow. He's going to be forever. He's eternal. And He's Father. A Father. A good Father. Then His next name, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord's armies will accomplish this. So peace. Wow, we haven't gotten past verse 1, have we? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Did you know that standing in the ability of God helping you, that's God helping you do things that you cannot do on yourself, by yourself on your own. And when you stand in the grace of God, you know, sometimes we, we step into it and then step out of it. <clears throat> but the grace of God isn't something to walk through like a footbath. But rather it's something to stand in. You're rooted in it. Once you get into the grace, don't move away from that spot. Stay there. And just let it be like quicksand and suck you in a little deeper. Deeper. Yeah. Anyhow, I won't sing that song right now. Where was I? Stuck in quicksand. Stuck in the grace of God. That's right. Be stuck in the grace of God and His abilities. He says, we, we boast or we rejoice or we glory in the hope of the glory of God. You know, there is hope that, you're gonna, that you will also take part in the glory of God. How is God glorified? You know, any time that the enemy is put under his feet, he's glorified. He wins again. He wins again. He wins again. Right? He's been glorified. So we get to take part of that. In verse 3, and not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions. Now this word afflictions, it means pressure. Pressure. Have you ever faced pressure? We boast in our pressures. Because we know that affliction, pressure, produces endurance. The word means cheerful endurance. It means cheerful. That's the first part of this word. Cheerful constancy, if you want to be real literal. So we boast in the pressure because it produces cheerful constantness. That's not a word, it is now. Verse 4. Endurance, or cheerful constancy, produces proven character. Now this word proven character, it really it means um, that you were approved by test. Approved by test. Kind of like when you fly an airplane, you know, if you decide, hey, I have a witty idea, I'm going to invent a new airplane. And so you build this whole thing and you go out and fly it and prove that, you know what, you can fly it all over the place and it doesn't crash and you haven't died. And then eventually, you, you work with the Federal Aviation Administration 
and they will issue you an, a certificate of airworthiness. means it's now legal for you to take passengers with you, right? In the airplane. A certificate of airworthiness. In other words, it's been tested and proved solid that you can use it. Now sometimes in the, in, in the airline world, they'll have things that later they discover, oh, that wasn't so safe. And so then they'll release a directive, airworthiness directive. And they have to go back and fix whatever the problem is. It's mandatory in order to fly it and carry passengers. Well, here, this is what he's saying. He's saying when the pressure comes, when the affliction comes, you know, if you just stay const- cheerfully constant and cheerfully endure it, that it will give you a certificate of proven character. Pass the test. And this proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us. This, this proven character that produces hope. Sometimes we read through these things so fast that we really don't understand it. We, we kind of blaze through it and, okay, this produces that and that produces that and that produces that. And that. Man, that's too much like algebra. But anyhow, the end result is we have hope with the Lord and hallelujah. Let's go on to verse 6, you know. But when you stop and read it slow and you consider what you're reading and the outcomes and the processes of it, you know how many times in my life that I look back at the, at the times where the pressure was great. And man, the answer didn't come the first day. And you just stay cheerfully constant believing the Word of God. And then eventually the answer came and you walked in victory in the thing. Right? You didn't give up the hope. I now look back at those things and go, you know what? Remember the time? The Lord did this and this and this. See, I've got a proven track record now to go back to. And an endurance. And what that does is that produces hope that you know what? The Lord would do it again. Look at verse... Five. This hope will not disappoint us because, here's why, God's love has been poured out in our hearts. God's love has been, been gushed is the word. Largely distributed. Like more than enough. Into your heart. How did it get there? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Why would He throw this on the end of talking about yay Jesus, we, we get to have relationship with God, yay, and you know, we're going to have peace and you know, if we face rough times, we're going to stand firm, be cheerful and, and be hopeful. And, and, and by the way, God's love has been put into your heart. Why would He say that on the end? See, God's DNA, if you will, is love. God is love. And what overcomes the world? Love. God, another way of saying it, right? Greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. Well, what's that in you that He's talking about? He's talking about the DNA of God in you. You're born again Spirit. The love of God that has been poured into your heart, His love given to you that you can now use and act and operate on by the Holy Spirit working in you. In other words, there is someone in you, the very love of God, His DNA, His personality is in you to withstand these trials and come out the other side of it going, hallelujah, we have a testimony to encourage other people with. Everyone say confident expectation. 
I think I'm going to stop there. I guess we didn't get past verse 5. So we can look at Acts, uh, Acts, yeah, Romans 5 at a later time and finish it out. I want to read to you a little bit out of Corinthians. Worship team, you can come. We're going to take part in communion. In fact, if someone would go and tell the children that they can come up and the teachers, that way they can take part of communion with us. In, in 1 Corinthians 11 is a chapter that Paul, writing to the Corinthian believers, explained to them the revelation that he had from God about communion and what it was meant and how to use it and all these things. And he kind of he got on their case for, they were, I guess they were getting drunk and they were being selfish in their communion supper. It wasn't just one bite like we have here tonight, but it was like they were making it a whole feast. And so he gives them correction on this. On, on, and, and look in verse, or I'll just read to you in verse 20. Uh, no, let's go down a little bit further. <clears throat> verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when He had given thanks, broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body, which is broken for you. Someone say his body was broken for me. Do this in remembrance of me. So in remembrance of Jesus, we take bread and we break it and we do that remembering his body being broken for us. How was his body broken? What does that mean? Well, when he hung on that cross, right? Scripture in Isaiah 53, it says that by his wounds we are healed. It's for our bodily healing that he took into His physical body, stripes, beatings, crown of thorns, all the bruises. You can find that in Isaiah 53 and what that was, what that was for. He goes on and he says, in the same way also He took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. The new covenant in My blood. See, they had an old covenant, but now He's making a new one. And it's in His blood, His DNA. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. In other words, you're saying, I believe it. I believe that He did it for me. That He made a new covenant in His blood for me. And that new covenant gives you life. Gives you relationship with the Lord. Gives you Right standing. That righteousness we've been talking about. Right standing with God. That's what the blood of Jesus does. Erases all the crimes you've committed. And by crimes, I mean if it's a literal crime of the nation, in the country, or just a crime of sin. Right? All the crimes paid for. That He paid for. So that you don't have to. In that cup. That's what it signifies. That's what it means. And you having His DNA on the inside. Did you know there's protection? There's protection in taking that. In eating the bread. There's protection in it. I'll just keep reading and you'll see. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. 
In what way? In an examined way. In other words, you judge yourself before God. Lord, you know, is there sin in my life that I'm aware of that I'm just smiling at? If there is, then you say, you know what? I turn away from that sin. I'm finished with that. Thank you for the blood of Jesus for washing me clean, making me new. That's just how you deal with it. You judge yourself, not your neighbor. Is not thinking about all their crimes. You have enough of your own to be concerned about. In this way, in this examined way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and have fallen asleep or have died. He makes a statement, if we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. Well, that's good news. There's a way for you to avoid judgment is just judge yourself with the Word and the Spirit of God. Now, there's never any condemnation that's involved in that equation of you three. The Word, the Spirit of God, and you. No condemnation. He will only draw you and say, hey, this over here, you should take care of that. Hey, this thing here, you should, uh, you should turn away from that. He's not going to shame you. He's, he's not going to, to embarrass you. He's not interested in any shenanigans. He's not a manipulator. But He will gently nudge you and say, Hey, what, what about that? Alright, did we have the children in? We're going to move the uh, table up here to the center. And you can just file by like we often do. Start in the back, if you would, and come up the center aisle, and then go around to the outsides and back to your seat, and it'll keep a nice flow going. And when you take it, um, get, the, get the cup, get the uh, bread, and, um, and just hold it, and we will all take it together and pray. Yeah, why don't you stand up with me? The blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as it washes white as Washes white as snow. It washes white as snow. Alright, if we missed anybody or if you can't come up or something you needed brought to you, just wave your hand real high over your head and, and we'll make sure that we, we get it to you. Now, when we take this, don't take it as just a ritual. This isn't a ritual. This is something that's real, it's divine, and it's spiritual. It comes from the spiritual plane, which has greater authority than this natural plane. That's why healing works. You know, I have, we have in our family, we've experienced miraculous healings from, if you guys didn't get any yet, just come up. If anyone comes in late, just come up and get some. Um, that if you need healing tonight, 
don't you dare do this as a ritual. Instead, you take it as a divine appointment with God tonight. Healing is mine. Right? It was given to you that way. Same way with the blood. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right? The blood purifies and cleanses us. And so, if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, this is an excellent time to do it. And you just say, you know what? I believe Jesus has been raised from the dead for me. I believe it. I receive it. Hallelujah. It's that easy. And now you just listen on the inside to what the Lord tells you and follow His instructions. Because now you have a master. A different one than the slave of sin and selfishness and all of that. Let's take the bread and just take it for healing in your body. For divine supernatural health. Father, I thank You. Now I'm going to pray this prayer personally. And you all make it personal for you by agreeing with it. Father, I thank You that You give me divine health in every cell, in every atom of my body. Now body, I speak to You and I tell You to cooperate with the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That by His wounds, flesh, You are healed. You are whole and You are healthy in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank You that You made this available to me. Thank You, Lord, that You have given me life and life abundantly. And I bless You for it. And Amen. Alright, let's take the cup. Again, I'm going to pray. And you just say Amen at the end if you agree with it for you. Lord, I present myself here before You. Thank You for Your blood. Thank You that You took away my sin. Thank You that You said I can come to You boldly anytime, anywhere, and that You would hear me. And that You have given me right standing with You. And that anytime I come to You, that You have mercy available for me and help available for me. And I just receive that right now. Thank You for making me family with You, Father. I bless You. I receive it in Jesus' name. And Amen. Yeah. And let's worship because we have reason for it. universe, the one that created you, is here with us tonight, and he has given you peace, peace that passes all understanding, peace that in spite of circumstances prevails. Jesus said this to the disciples, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace, that's the peace of Jesus, I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Don't let means that you could let it. It means there's an option. That when you are faced with 
fear or fearfulness, you, you have a choice. And you can, you can guard against it. And the way you guard against it, it tells us in Isaiah that the mind that stayed on Him, He'll keep in perfect peace. Endless peace. And so when, when that moment of fearfulness arrives, you put your mind right back on Him. Remind yourself of what He's done for you before. And, and find something to be thankful for. Because you cannot be whiny and complainy and fearful when you're grateful and thankful and thanking Him. Come on. Right? One defeats the other. So get into thankfulness and, and thank the Lord for having two legs. And if you don't have two legs, then thank Him for two arms. And if you don't have two arms, then thank Him for a head. Because you can't be alive without that. So you've all got that one. You can find something to be grateful for. So be at peace. Love on one another as you go. There's a time of fellowship downstairs. Everyone is invited. And one way that we love God is how? Amen. everyone. Oh, it's so good to see all your smiling summer faces. It's so beautiful. We really are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Do you know it? Do you feel it? You, you just know it in your heart. We really are. Yeah. Well, I'd like to encourage you tonight in our worship time together and from Psalms 5. The good word of God. It says, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, reverence of you, I will worship you toward the holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you. Do you put your trust in the Lord? Do you trust him with all your heart? It should produce a joy in your heart. Let them ever shout for joy. Yes, glory to God, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O oh Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround them as with a shield. That's our Father. That's our Lord. This is he's, this are just some of his promises that he blesses his kids with. Amen. Well, let's stand up together. Let's worship together as family in this body.
Each and every one of us have a very, very good, good Father. He's our Heavenly Father. He created us, had you in mind before the foundations of the earth, and called you by your name. You are His beloved. When He looks at you, He's pleased. He looks at you, He sees His Son, Jesus, and the blood that He shed upon the cross. You are very, very valuable to your Father in Heaven. Don't ever believe the lie of the enemy that you're not. God the Father loves you. That's something that you should say every day. God the Father loves me. He created me. He blesses me. See, by saying those things, it becomes you. You believe it. You don't believe the lies of the enemy. We all have a good, good Father. And He's alive and well. Amen watchful over you watchful his eye is upon you it's so important to believe these truths of the word of God and let it become you amen who's the most blessed person on the face of the earth in this place tonight every hand raised up because we are the Bible calls us blessed and you know uh, when Jesus had a conversation with uh, Thomas Thomas doubted that Jesus really rose from the dead. He said, come and feel my hands and look at the holes in my feet. And then he said something very profound that you should take and own it. He said, more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We are the most blessed people. Amen. That's scriptural. God bless. Hallelujah. Well, one way in this house is how we love God is by loving one another. Boy, you do a good job of it, family. So turn around, tell somebody you're glad that, you, that they're here and give them a hug and bless them. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm going to cut your greeting time a little bit short, shorter than usual. We got a lot to, um, I don't want to deliberate too long here, but it's good to be with you all, so yeah, well, it's good to be back. Well, I'd like to welcome anyone that's here for the very first time. Could you just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you, say hello, and clap a little? <laughs> I know we have some visitors right here, so let's all be welcoming to them. And if you are ready to return the tithe to the Lord, you can raise your hand. If you need a cash envelope, our ushers will bring you one. You know, before we go into the tithe, I'm just, uh, just going to say I'm so glad to be here, and I'm so glad to do life with such amazing people. Yeah. You know, that, it meant so much to me to go to that reunion, I'm just going to say. Um, you know, this was a family reunion on my mom's side that the last time Sydney and I were at this organized reunion, I mean, there were funerals and weddings where we saw different of the family, but the last time we were at a reunion, we didn't have children. So many of my aunts and uncles had not met Adele. 
it meant so much to me, and I know that the Lord made it possible, but through the Lavanese family. And we just had favor everywhere we went. You know, we had favor on the roads. We had favor with prices. We had favor with family. And, you know, there's a whole group. My family looks at, because, see, they don't know Steve and Jill Lavanese. All they know is, is that congregation back there are good people. I mean, I can't tell you how many times people just said, wow, you have really good people. And we're like, yeah, we sure do. And I mean, over and over it was said like, wow, that got such great people and they're so kind. And that was so, I mean, it was a testimony to our, I mean, our congregation. They were reflected on everybody here. Favor in, uh, let me tell you this too, we had favor with, um, we were in DeSmet, South Dakota, and uh, Adrian tried to choke to death. And thanks be to God that he has a dad who has some skills, because all his mom did was look at him and, well, no, I didn't look at him, I was, had my back to him, and I just said, Adrian, stop it. Because I didn't know what was happening. I know that sounds like I'm a heartless mother. I'm really not. I really do care about whether he lives or dies. But, <laughs> but honestly, it could have went very bad. Okay, so I have to say. So he was, you know, I have, we're in this motorhome, my sister's motorhome. And there is, she has six children. I have just prepared lunch in this crowded motorhome with little ones trying to grab the food or grab the knife or something. You know, I have been everywhere, and it's chaotic, right? So I finally got food to everybody, and all the littles got something, and now I'm counting carbs and putting into Adele's pump, and suddenly there's this pounding on my back, which is not untypical of Adrian, because that's his love pats. I mean, they may jar your teeth, but that's how he shows affection. So I'm like... This kind of kept, got, got a little more insistent. I'm like, stop it, Adrian. And, and Carson, in his very undramatic way, mommy needs help. And I turn around and look at him, and Adrian's a very dramatic person, right? So he's standing there. He's not opening his mouth. You know, typical, you know, like little children, if, they, if they're choking, their mouth is often, you know, open. He wasn't. He's just frantically flailing like something, and I'm just frozen mud. Thank God his dad came in the door, and Carson, again, undramatically, Dad, Adrian needs help. And, <laughs> and he grabs him and does the Heimlich, which the blockage came out. In other words, yep, chucked in the motorhome, and drug him out. You know, that could have went with favor. God's favor was on us everywhere. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity, for the memories that were made that my kids are going to have for a lifetime. He's so good. Yes. Amen. So we're going to return the tithe to the Lord because he is good. And I'm so glad for the ability to tithe and for the principles of the tithe. So tonight I thought I would give you some keys for financial success. Anybody here be interested in some secrets to financial success? We'll work 100% every time. All right, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 and count it a privilege to be able to pick up a Bible and turn to it. There are people that do not have a Bible and would love the privilege to open one. 
Proverbs 3, verse 1 says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So allowing the word of God to become part of your DNA and just the way you operate, it's going to bring you long life, peace, and prosperity. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Now, in the King James, I believe... Uh, Different translations use different words, but in the King James, I think it says, uh, let goodness or kindness, mercy, mercy. there we go. So sometimes I look up these words and the definitions, and I kind of get full of, of, you know, and I forget, well, was that a translation? Was that a definition I looked up? Anyways, so let love and faithfulness, you could say trustworthiness, um, truth is also in that definition, never leave you. So your mode of operation is goodness, kindness, you could say love, faithfulness, truthfulness. That's just who you are. Bind it around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Well, would favor and a good name help you when you go to buy and sell, when you go out in your business, think in the business world, how far does a good name go? Oh, it's huge. You know, you'll go to a different mechanic simply because somebody puts in a good name for him or a good word for that, for that establishment. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Mm-mm. And lean not on your own understanding. See, we use our understanding, but you can't put weight on it. You can't fully rely on it. So with everything in you, you trust in the Lord. Well, how do you do this? How do you apply? Well, verse 6, verse 6 tells us how we do this. It says, in all of your ways, so I'm reading in the, in the NIV, so I'm going to say it how it says in the King James. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. My scripture says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I think the King James says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Let me break that down to you a little bit. I want to read some definitions because I believe verse 6 is the key to how you do, how you do verse 5. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart and not leaning on your understanding. How would you tell the difference if I'm leaning on my understanding or am I, am I really trusting the Lord or not? Well, uh, this word, this phrase, in all your ways, in the uh, BDB definition, Basically just means in your journey of life. So in your life, as you go about life, the, um, acknowledge him. So give you two different, um, the strongs in the BDB. So the BDB first says to know. Let me say it like this. To know God, because we're saying about acknowledging him, right? So to know God, to perceive and see God, to find out and discern God, to know by experience God. To distinguish God, to recognize. Are you getting the idea here? How do you, in other words, in an intimate relationship with him, where you're ascertaining, Lord, what are you saying? All right, the Strong's definition um, says it like this. And I did condense, like sometimes there is paragraphs in these definitions, and you simply can't go through all, but but I tried to collect um, the main emphasis. To know to properly ascertain by seeing. So, again, relationship with the Father. 
and he will direct or make your paths straight. In other words, I read these definitions, to be right, to be straight, level, and smooth. The strong says to be straight or even, to cause, to be right, smooth, prosperous, and pleasant. Now, wouldn't that help you a whole lot? Let me say it a different way. If you're hearing from God, if, if you're ascertaining, well, did the Lord say this? No, I feel like the Lord said, are you seeing what he's seeing? Are you distinguishing? Uh, that's going to make your path smooth and straight. And you're going to hit the mark. Won't that help you in your finances, in the decisions you make and, and all of that? So do not be wise in your own eyes. Well, see, now it's going again, talking about not leaning on your understanding. You're not smarter than God. Don't think you are. Fear the Lord and shun evil. So we're to turn away aside from evil. Now, a lot of times we see that word evil and we think, that doesn't apply to me because I haven't stabbed anyone today. I haven't robbed a widow. I haven't, well, this, let me read this definition. Uh, bad, disagreeable. That's a little closer home. Giving pain, unkind, hurtful, vicious in disposition, unpleasant, sad, unhappy, injurious, misery, among many others. I mean, it just went down. But, but these kind of things are a little bit closer home than murder. You know, often we think of something really out there. We're to turn from these things. Turn aside. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. It's bring healing to your, to your body. Verse 9 and 10. We know these scriptures well. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So part of honoring the Lord, that will, you know, honor for the Lord will cause you to tithe. Because what you're demonstrating when you return a tenth to the Lord first, right off the top, is you're saying, Lord, I give you first place. I'm not figuring out if I have enough to do this or not. I'm putting you first place. I return the tithe to you. And it says, honor him with your substance or your wealth and the first fruits. First fruits says, uh, this definition says, first part, the beginning, the best, or the chief. And acting on verse 9, that will produce verse 10 in your life. We all want verse 10 in our life. Storehouses full and overflowing, and vats will brim over with new wine. Now, I looked, that, that last part, I'm like, okay, I want, I want some more clarity on what that's referencing. Um, in, in Genesis 27, 28, where Jacob, sorry, Isaac is blessing Jacob. Okay, I had this marked. Go like this. He says, May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. So it's referencing earthly prosperity, referencing earthly um, abundance. And also, I'm not going to take the time to read there because I've went long enough here, but Deuteronomy 7.13, where it's talking about the blessings that are going to overtake you if you follow the Lord's commands and, and his ways. It's also referenced in there in that way about the, the new wine. So it's like a reference to earthly prosperity and abundance. Honoring the Lord always results in your blessing. And it just works like that every time. You put him first, you count his things important, and put a high value on that, it will result 
and your storehouse is full and your um, vats brooming with new wine or earthly possessions, earthly abundance. All right, let's take a hold of our tithe or our offerings, present that to the Lord. Father, we are so thankful, so grateful to you tonight for your goodness, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we are grateful for the ability to tithe. We're thankful for our jobs, for our sources of income. And Lord, we know that you are our source. And we don't lean on our understanding, but we trust you. And we just rest in your faithfulness to provide. I thank you, Lord, in advance for every need met. The answer to every obstacle that anyone here is facing. Lord, we thank you in advance for the ready provision that is surely on the way according to your word. In Jesus' name, and amen. Amen. And the ushers can pass the baskets, and the people will give to the Lord. All right, Youth and Young Adult Impact have a swim party tomorrow at the Levi Laps House. However, I think there's been some discussion about an alternate plan in case of weather, so stay tuned for that if you're part of that group. I believe that they're planning to change it to the Schumann's House for pizza and games if, in fact, it rains, but you'll be notified. CWI Picnic is coming up. August 28th. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. The Summer Luau at the Ayers Home is Sunday, August 14th, so a week from Sunday. And you can reach out to Bree and RSVP if you're planning to attend that. August 20th is the Men's Group Breakfast, and that's here at the church at 8 a.m. You can let Josh Schumann know if you're planning to attend that breakfast. LTS is about to uh, start up soon. I believe that's starting up September 10th. So if you would like to take part in this, this is like a, it's a leadership training class that really you can do whether you're full, em, fully employed or part-time or stay-at-home mom. It's, the class load is light enough that you really can just um, work it in it when you spend time with the Lord. And it's one Monday night a month and one Saturday a month. So it really is great for supporting you in your relationship with the Lord, growing deeper in, in your walk with him, and just becoming a lifelong learner. So you can let Kelly know if you're interested in being a part of the this coming semester by August 31st. Kelly, you had some things to share, right, about children's ministry? All right, I'll let you have the mic. Well, good evening, everybody. Um, I just wanted to talk just for a few minutes about some children's ministry-related items. So first off, I wanted to thank everybody who has currently been serving. If you've been currently serving or currently are serving, would you just stand up? We'd like to thank you and honor you for your service. Give them a hand. Okay, thank you. So... We are preparing for the upcoming um, school year. We run our children's ministry commitments of serving from um, more of how a school year would run, but through the summer of that next year. So we are currently looking, we are recruiting, if you uh, have it on your heart to serve in our children's ministry, um, at the end of the service, immediately following the service, we will have a children's ministry table set up in the back lobby. You won't miss it. It's got a bright orange tablecloth on it. 
And we would like you, if you would like to, to serve, starting in September, to sign your name on the clipboard. We currently have positions in all of the classes. So that's nursery, preschool, 5K, elementary, and juniors. And that goes all the way up through fifth grade. So if that, the Lord's put that on your heart to serve, um, please stop by and sign up. We are currently uh, rearranging class uh, teachers and helpers and classes. So um, the sooner that you can let us know, the better so that we can make sure that we have everybody in place. Now, anybody who is continuing to serve or is joining the team, we are having a mandatory um, children's ministry meeting, but it's also going to be a breakfast for you to thank you for your your serving. Um, that is going to be held here at the church downstairs where we normally help hold the ladies' breakfasts um, from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on August 27th. It is the last Saturday of this month. That will get us all fully prepared in time for us to do our switchovers, which will be happening, our move-up days for anybody in uh, 5K who's moving up to elementary, anybody in elementary who's moving up to juniors. And um, so that'll get everybody ready for, but it's for anybody. So any class you're in, nursery, all the way up, that training is going to, um, you're going to hear from me, you're going to hear from all the coordinators, and there's going to be lots of important things happening at that meeting. So please, please plan on attending. Um, as I said, the move-up date, we've had a lot of questions. When does my child move up? So here's a general rule of thumb that you can count on every year. If your child is moving on from or moving up to kindergarten um, or all the way up through the juniors, we will have our move-up Saturday on the first Saturday of September. So that's when a school year typically switches over. So we're going to follow those ages according to a school year. If you have a child who is in nursery and they turn three, or if you have a child who's in pre-K and they turn five, we will follow their birth dates for those move-ups. But anybody who is attending kindergarten and beyond, the move-up date will be Saturday, September 3rd. Okay? So just so you know that. Also, after the service at that bright orange table, we are updating our children's ministry information. So if you have a child that will still be in children's ministry, or many children that will still be in children's ministry in this coming school year from September on, um, please, please stop by the table. It'll take you about two minutes, and um, we just need to update current contact information, emails, phone numbers. Um, we want to make sure that we can contact you as we update you on things going on in the classrooms and send out scriptures and all kinds of different things for your children. So if, you, if your children regularly attend here, please stop by, pick up a form, fill it out. You can hand it right to us. We have lots of pens back there. And then you will also receive a new card that looks like this. And for those of you who have been here, um, we have something called the number system that if one of your children needs you during the service, you will see their, your family number put up on one of those black screens up there. Um, we, are making, we are revising the number system just a bit to make it a little bit more easier for you. So when you get your card, you will notice that there's only either a single digit or a double digit number. That's your official family number. We didn't change those numbers, but what we did is we just took out that first number so that 
you're not confused. Oh, well, my child's not in nursery anymore. They moved up to um, preschool. I don't know what their number is. Well, your number will always stay the same. So if you have four kids, you're going to have the same number for all four kids. If your number, number 12, gets flashed up there, just go downstairs um, quickly when you see that and meet the teacher or helper with your child in the common area down there. Or if you don't see anybody, stop by the nursery because it very well could be one of your children in nursery that the teacher just couldn't leave the room um, with all the little ones. So that's what we're doing to um, revamp the number system. So when you come back to sign up your new contact information or update that, you'll also get your uh, family number system card. So um, yeah, I think that's it. So thank you very much. Thank you, Kelly. Our children's ministry is so important. It's the future of the church. It's the next generation of church. So we would like to, I know this is impromptu, but Aaron, Ray, and Shawnee um, recently returned from Italy where their children are that they're adopting. I just wondered if you guys would like to come up and maybe just briefly give us two minutes. Uh, tell us what you did there and just kind of give us a little update or... Tell us about your trip a little bit. Welcome home. Hi, everybody. So we got back last night at midnight. So we really just got back, and we had the odors pick us up at the train station. It was really fun. Um, we expected one of our boys to pick us up, but they were there, and that was nice to see friendly faces. So yeah, we, for the last two weeks, um, we're spending our time with four of the five children that we are hoping to adopt. We got to meet our second youngest, Nikita. Um, he is a ball of energy, and we were very, um, very blessed because we never thought we'd have the opportunity to actually meet him. So we got to spend almost two days with him and our three others, um, which really was miraculous, to say the least. But that's not why we went only. We also went to serve the entire orphanage. There are about 96 children living in a hotel with five caretakers. And they have not had a break since they got there in April. They get no time off. They get no break. And they've had to sometimes sit on the stairwell to prevent the students from slipping out at night to keep them inside the building to keep them safe. So it's definitely, now that we've been there, we have a much better idea of what they're actually dealing with. Um, and it's sometimes hard to, when you think about it, it's hard to process because it's difficult. It's very difficult. And they all just want to go home. I had one of the teachers tell me, I just want to go home. I want to see my kids. I want to go home. And uh, currently they're in a situation where five teachers are actually wanting to leave, but they have no one to replace them yet. So could we ask you to, when you pray, when you are spending time with the Lord, and when you think about this orphanage specifically in Italy, please pray that the Lord provide new teachers, new staff to come, but that he would also provide more than enough that they can have breaks, that they can have a rest, because they're wore out. Um, but also for the children, I would say, we would say they're probably in one of the best situations possible, but even that is not ideal. They're bored. There's some structure, but there really isn't much structure. And so it's, we are so thankful we got to go. We, every day, we would, 
either play games with them, we would bring a craft, or we would join them on the activities that they were um, uh, given to participate in. The Italian um, people have been so kind to them. They have brought food, they, they provide the food for the children, they brought clothing, they give them the opportunity to participate in activities like rope climbing or going to the pool. So really they have been very well taken care of in many ways. But culture is different. And, you know, when we know, so we would be, it would be easy for us to give from our understanding, right? But when someone's from a different culture, that giving, which is awesome, might not really speak to them. So this applies to food, it applies to what they're doing, it applies to language. So overall, we are just praising the Lord for the opportunity we had to go. We were busy, it was hot, they have a heat wave in Europe. Um, but we were just so blessed. And I would say our heart capacity has just grown. You know, when you see these children, how can you not love them and want to bring them all home? You know what I mean? Because they all need a mom and dad. They all need families. So thank you for praying for us. Um, we're glad to be home. It is awesome to be back in the American culture also and have a home-cooked meal. <laughs> we lived on bread and cheese for two weeks, <laughs> which was good too. Um, but we would love to, um, if you have questions and if you want to help in some way, we have cards that we hand out for us personally. But if you would like to know how you could help them, um, I'm sure we can guide you in some way. So please do pray for them and thank you for loving us and for praying for us and with us. We appreciate you very much. So the question is, what's the next step for us in the adoption? Well, right now, everything is on hold still. And because Ukraine is under martial law, it means that no international adoptions are moving. So we've actually been ready for the next step for almost two months. We got our paperwork miraculously fast. But at this point, what we need to do is hand our dossier, which is like 20 to 30 documents, which need to be apostilled, which we would send to Ukraine to be translated and then handed to the Ukrainian government. Well, they're not doing that right now. That being said, some adoptions that were in the last phase have been completed and some families have been able to bring their children home. So praise the Lord for that. We just know one family that just brought their daughter Olga home about a week and a half ago. Um, so that is happening, and apparently some domestic adoptions have proceeded, but really we are literally standing still. Even though we have the bedrooms ready, we have our paperwork pretty much ready, but we are waiting for that to open up. So if, when, and if you pray, please do pray that the Lord would touch the hearts of those who are in control of this in Ukraine, that they would say, you know what, there's so many displaced children we can at least do something for those who have families waiting for them. And there are about 300 children that I know of, and there, I'm, I'm sure there are more, that if they would give us permission, we would get on a plane right now and go get them. We are just waiting for that permission, but it hasn't been given to us. And it has been frustrating because we just want them to come home. We can give, we believe, we can give better care to them here in our homes than in a hotel where there is hardly any supervision and the children have been traumatized already by being parentless. But then when they left Ukraine, we heard some things that were very disturbing. So it's trauma upon trauma. And we just know that they need loved and they, they need taken care of. So I hope that answers the question. We're believing that it'll be soon 
and that we can continue so we can bring them home. Did you want to share something? I guess just one thing. The martial law is supposed to expire on the 24th of August. At this point, it hasn't been extended, so that's a positive, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I just want to echo, Jan, it's so good to be back here. Uh, it's just great to be back with this family. And, and I want to thank you for the monies that you have put in our hands. With that, we bought quite a lot of clothing, and uh, uh, this hotel had glass plates and silverware, uh, glass plates and dishes, which not a good idea with a hundred children. So we supplied them with uh, plastic uh, bowls and cups and things like that, which they asked for. It's something that they needed. And uh, yeah, um, a lot of things uh, met their needs in many ways. So thank you for that, for making it possible. So f specifically for our adoption, if you want to know how to help, we have cards in the back. We figured people were asking, and it's easier to hand something over. So if, if that's something on your heart, or even broader than just our story, if you'd like to know more about the children in Italy, feel free to take a card and reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you. So again, thank you. We're so grateful. Spasiba. In Russian, that's thank you. We appreciate you very much. We serve a good God, don't we? And going into all the world looks many different ways. And you just heard of one of the ways. Um, bringing children from there or that don't have families. And obviously, if you have children, your greatest mission field lives in your house. Right? Raising up arrows that will fly and hit the mark at the right place at the right time. Because your generation can change the world. Jesus did it. I'm talking about your children, that generation. Jesus did it with 12. And then he said, go and do likewise. And so we have more than 12 children in this house. In fact, usually when we count attendance, one-third are children in children's church. So um, that's, that's good news. Talk about schedule a little bit. We are, in fact, yeah, before we get into the sermon, we'll do that. We, um, we have Jacob in Ukraine right now. Of course, Dale is there as well. And many of you know Pastor Jay is there. Others, they're taking a team with 10 men in. And so um, let's, let's take a moment right now and just lift them up in prayer for safety and being at the right place at the right time. Father, I thank you that you know all things and that nothing's too hard for you and nothing gets overlooked by you. And so, Father, I lift up Jacob, Dale, Jay, all the others that are part of this team. Father, I thank you that you have provided every financial need. Lord, bless them for taking their time and, and giving it to you by serving others. Lord, I ask you for divine protection for each one of them. And that you would lead them by your spirit to where to go, how to go. That you'd bring them into contact with the right people. So that all of the things that they're bringing into Ukraine would be used and, and would ultimately glorify you. And that people would come to know you because of it. 
In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. Um, keep us in prayer as we travel, and um, looking forward to just having a, having a great week there with them. And then next weekend, you have a treat, one that you don't get very often, in the form of um, leading you in worship as normal, John Fike, but then also he's going to be the speaker. And so come prepared to receive from the Lord, as always, and something special.